And open your Bible with me this morning to the book of John chapter 10. We have a word. I'm going to keep saying that to you over and over, especially as this year begins to wrap up and we move into the next one. We have a word. We've got a word from God for our family. We've got something you can stand on. We've got something that you can put in your heart and let come out of your mouth. And you've already heard testimony today about the good things that happen as people grab a hold of a word like this from God and believe it. And that's the only way it goes to work in your life. You have to put faith in it and believe it. And the Lord began speaking to us a number of weeks ago about the end of 2020 and the beginning of 2021. And again, I keep hearing it. People just so excited this year is over. And it's been a year. I will, I will give you that. It has been one, not just for the record books, the history books. Do you realize that generations from now will read about what you and I have experienced this year? And there will be somebody in a classroom that stands up and teaches about the global pandemic and everything that happened. I'm not saying it'll be accurate, but I'm saying they're going to talk about it. And man, we have seen some stuff this year and the, the so-called pandemic. I mean, that was just the, the beginning of it. There was a lot of uh, upheaval and unrest politically and socially and in a lot of different ways. And people are so excited that 2020 is over and I get it, except that you just sort of want to remind them, you realize that flipping a calendar page doesn't bring an end to all this stuff. I mean, people are just sitting there waiting for that big shiny ball to drop. And like, that's going to do something. Phew, COVID's over, right? No more political strife, no more strife in the streets. Why? Well, that shiny ball came down a little bit and everybody blew some paper trumpets. It didn't do anything. I'm not saying it's not worth celebrating. It's great, but you got to understand that every difficult thing, every challenging thing we and the rest of this world experienced this year, every single one of them have a spiritual root and a spiritual force behind them. And just flipping a calendar page doesn't do anything in the realm of the spirit. And if you want these things to change or you want these things to stop, at least as far as your house is concerned and the effect they have on you, you have to address them not naturally, but spiritually. And that's what this word from God for us and this family is all about. And the Lord said, I want you to use the end of one year and the beginning of another as a picture of what I'm wanting to do for you, spiritually speaking. And Sarah made mention of this in the testimonies that she gave earlier. And we're declaring this. It's the end of sickness and disease. It's the beginning of what? Life more abundantly. And I'm declaring this over you, family, that as 2020 ends, so ends whatever has been in your life that's hung around for too long. I don't care if it's sickness. I don't care if it's disease. I don't care if it's lack or shortage or strife in your home or confusion in your life. Whatever's been hanging around too long, just the same way this year is ending and is never coming back, that stuff's coming to an end and is never coming back in your life in Jesus' name. But we talked about this a number of weeks ago. You may remember this, what Jesus said in the book of Matthew when he was 
talking to people about and extending that invitation, come to me all, he said, who are uh, weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. You remember that in the book of Matthew? Well, that whole passage started with the scripture saying, at that time, Jesus said unto them. Now we looked at other translations that really helped us understand really what the scripture was saying when it said at that time. It wasn't a reference to noon on a Tuesday. There's other translations that bring this out at that uh, epical and strategic moment, epical and strategic moment. And that word epical, E-P-O-C-H-A-L, epical, spelling bee up here. It basically just means the end, or I should say it like this, the beginning of a new development or a new era. It's a moment that occurs either in your life or in the nation or even in the world, a moment in time that changes everything. A moment in time to where the things, the, the, the way things were before it, then this thing happened and now everything after it's different. Everything after it's changed. That's an epical moment. And I remember uh, my brother-in-law, Jordan, Sarah's brother, Jordan, he's the one who leads worship for us here. He and his wife, Courtney, have served with us in the ministry for a long time. Well, they've been married a number of years and they asked, uh, asked me to officiate their wedding years ago. And so there we were standing at the altar of their marriage. And that's the scripture the Lord put on my heart to talk to them about this epical moment. These are moments that occur in the timeline of your life. They're not everyday kind of things. There may only be a handful of them throughout the course of your life, but you know them. You know when they've happened. Like we said, it's a moment that changes everything. And that's really what that moment of marriage is. That's an epical moment. And I was using that opportunity as the, as the, the minister over that covenant to remind both of them, guys, this is an epical moment. It's the beginning of a new development, the beginning of a new era. Everything changes from here. But see, problems occur when a new moment, a new era begins, and yet you keep trying to live in the old one. Do you realize that is the source of, I think, pretty much all marriage trouble? It's people who are living past the moment that epical moment where everything changed and yet they lived with the mentality of a single individual. It don't work. It will not work. It'll be nothing but frustration. And I stood there to remind them, Jordan, Courtney, listen, this moment changes everything. It's epical. And to, to, on top of that, it gets better from here. But what you don't want to do is try to live in the new development and in the new era under the old rules. It's not going to work. And I told my brother-in-law, Jordan, single Jordan's got to die for married Jordan to thrive. This is a new development. But the same thing's true in, in every area of your life, most especially spiritually. And I believe that that's the kind of moment we're standing in front of right now. One that changes everything. And much of what we've seen in the world over the last year has been a moment like that. Things are different, folks. Things are different now, but they can be different for you. If you'll let this word go to work, you'll get it in your heart and declare it out of your mouth. This is the beginning of something new. And I'm not living under the old way. I'm not living under the old rules anymore. I'm a free man. I'm a free woman now. This is an epical moment in my life. And you see this in the book of John chapter 10. Jesus is speaking. Let's, let's just begin in verse one again. 
remind us ourselves of a few things here. John chapter 10, verse one, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door of the shepherd, uh, uh, excuse me, he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens and the sheep hear his voice. And he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. This is so good. He leads them out. And we talked a number of weeks ago about one of the defining characteristics of the life of a Christian, the life of a believer, is that number one, we believe God speaks. Number two, we believe he speaks to us. And number three, we believe we can understand him. Now, if you believe those things, those things, you are weird. You're strange. You are not normal in the eyes of the rest of this world. But who wants normal, right? I mean, if normal is sick, if normal is broke, if normal is depressed and oppressed, and if normal is hopeless, who wants normal? Not me, not us. But this is one of those things that define us and separate us from the rest of this world. We believe, number one, there is a God, but he is not just out there distantly observing his creation. He's involved in the lives of his people. And we are his children. We are his sheep. And one of the things that defines us as his sheep is we know his voice. He calls us by name and he leads us out. Out of what? Out of whatever it is you're in that you need out of, Jesus is your good shepherd. And he'll lead you out of that mess. Even if you're the one that got yourself in it. Even if it was your own dumb decision making, even if it was your own mistake or my own mistake, Jesus is such a good shepherd. And when one sheep wanders off and gets lost, he is so faithful to come looking for that one sheep. And we're out there crying, Jesus, Jesus, help us. We're lost. I'm in a mess again. And when you call out on the mercy of God, he is faithful to lead you out. Why don't you say this? Jesus is my good shepherd. He calls me by my name and he leads me out. He calls you by your name. He's got a lot of sheep, man. He has got a lot of sheep in this sheepfold. And yet he knows your name. He knows your name. And we talked about this, what was it, a couple of weeks ago, that you can be on that, hey, it's me kind of relationship with Jesus. You know what I mean by that? When somebody calls and all they have to say is, hey, it's me. And you know the voice. You don't wonder. You don't guess. You know that voice. You can have that level of intimacy with Jesus, your good shepherd. And all he has to do is call. And he calls you by your name. And he's never called you by the wrong name. He's never looked at you and said, hold on, wait a second. Don't tell me. No, 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 wait, no, 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 no. I'm I'm good. I'm good with faces. Wait a second. Did we go to high school together? No, he knows your name. He knows your name. And he calls you by your name and then he leads you out. And this is what he's been doing from the moment you made him the Lord of your life. He's been leading you out. From that very moment you said, Jesus, I repent. I ask you to forgive me. I receive your forgiveness and your cleansing. Make me new. I am a new creation in you, Christ Jesus. He went to work right then, leading you out. Out of what? Leading you out of sin and into righteousness. 
leading you out of darkness, leading you out of death, leading you out of sickness, leading you out of lack and shortage of every kind. He went to work right then leading you out, but he's never led you out of one thing without leading you in to something else. He led you out of sin that he might lead you in to his righteousness. He led you out of darkness that he might lead you in to light. He led you out of death itself that he might lead you into life. This is how good your shepherd is. You got a good shepherd. You've got a good shepherd and you can know his voice. He said in verse four, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus said this or used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. He said in verse 10, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. I have come, he said, that you'd have life and have it how? More abundantly. The Amplified Bible says it like this. The thief comes only in order to steal and kill and destroy I came that they may have and enjoy life and have it in abundance to the full till it overflows. Thank you, Lord. This is our word for 2021. That whatever's been around too long is coming to an end and it's the beginning of life more abundantly. Thank you, Lord. Listen to this from the New Living Translation, though. I want to focus on something concerning this word abundance and what that actually means. In the New Living Translation, it says it like this, the thief's purpose, this is John 10, 10, Jesus said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. Stealing, killing, destroying, every one of these things have to do with taking something from you. Every one of these deal with loss. And it's not just in one area or another. It's in any given area of life. The thief comes to steal and to kill and to destroy. And if you ever take the time to really study some of these words, the scripture is so loaded with revelation. And and the spirit of God can talk to you just reading the words on the page. But if you ever just show some hunger and demonstrate some diligence and say, Lord, I want to understand this deeper. Just spend some time looking at these words. These things will come alive to you. This book will absolutely come alive to you. Sarah and I were on an airplane one time, crossing the Atlantic, uh, going to minister in another country. And these, some of these things that I'm talking to you about now are on my heart then. And I'm in this airplane looking at these scriptures and all of a sudden for the first time, something stood out to me that had never caught my attention before. Jesus said, all who came before me were, what did he say? Thieves and robbers. That was interesting. Thief and a robber. 
You, would, you and I think that's kind of the same thing, right? A thief is someone who steals, somebody who robs. When I got to looking these words up, the thief, it means about what you think it does to, to steal from somebody. But a robber is somebody who comes into a place or into a person's life and turns everything inside out, upside down. Kind of the picture it painted for me was what we've all seen in movies before where somebody's raiding the apartment, right? They're looking for information and they come in with the team and they just pull out every drawer and dump everything in the floor and they bust out the walls and they're looking for stuff hidden behind the walls and they're tearing up the floor and, and they have absolutely ransacked this place and turned it inside out and upside down. That's a robber. Somebody who comes into your life and in their wake just leaves destruction and leaves a mess. And what was interesting about that is I'm flying in this airplane crossing the ocean. When we get there, we're ministering at a church we'd ministered in before and we knew the pastor and their family well. But uh, we had a day or so just to acclimate and I was just with the pastor's son and he and I were talking and he started to tell me some things. He said, I couldn't tell you this over the phone. Because we think maybe our phones have been tapped. Like, what is going on? I knew they were having some, some issues uh, with some governmental things. But what he told me was basically the equivalent of this nation's IRS came into their home. But in this nation, their IRS carries guns. We got a lot to be thankful for. And they came in. They rang the doorbell disguised as somebody needing prayer. And as soon as the door was opened, I don't know what it was. Do you remember 10 or 12 different agents from this government agency busted into the house and began to tear everything up? Just like I'm talking to you about right now. And it was such a clear picture of me to me of what Satan's trying to do in our lives as the thief and as a robber. Not just take something from you but leave a wake of total destruction, chaos, confusion, mayhem. And when you see that clearly, you can't help but see Jesus more clearly because there's none of that in him. There's none of that in him. He's not the one taking anything from you. He's the one trying to add it to you. He said, this is, this is the thief. This is me. Don't get us confused. The thief's come to steal. The thief has come to kill. The thief has come to destroy and to pull down and to take from you. Jesus said, that's not me. I came, my purpose in coming was to give you life and to give it to you more abundantly. Again, this New Living Translation, he said, the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Why don't you say those words with me? A rich and satisfying life. Now, if those words make you mad, <laughs> just hang on, okay? Let the word of God go to work in you. And we're laughing, but there's so much of the religious world and the church world who would fight that right there. Just that notion, just that concept of rich and satisfying. But come on, folks, help me out. What are we doing right now? We are reading the Bible. And on top of that, these words are in red. Jesus said this. 
And he said, my purpose, that's a big statement, isn't it? That is a massive statement for Jesus to say, my purpose in coming was to give you a rich and satisfying life. See, I can tell by your thunderous applause and excitement that you're, no, listen, it, you can tell it has to go to work on us because there's been so much religious tradition that works against that. But these are words coming out of the mouth of Jesus. My purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Now, maybe what we do need to work on is like we said earlier today already, how do we define rich? How do we define satisfying? Now, that may be some places we need to work on in our own soul, but it doesn't change the fact that Jesus said, I came and my purpose was to give you a rich and satisfying life. The word rich just simply means well supplied. It means you just got what you need. You are well supplied either for the job or for the life, whatever it is you're doing. You are rich. You are well supplied. Satisfied. I like this. It means pleased or content. Now, that's the big key right there content. Contentment is a lost art. But this word satisfied means pleased or content with what has been experienced or what has been received. And Jesus said, this is the kind of life I came to give you rich and satisfying, satisfying. Satisfaction is one of those things, isn't it? I mean, people will spend a lifetime looking for it, searching for it, working for it. And they come to the end of their life and they said, I try and I try and I try and I can't get no satisfaction. I bring that up because interestingly enough, does anybody know? You don't have to admit it if you know who wrote that song and who performed it. There's a group hundreds of years ago called <laughs> the Rolling Stones. Mick Jagger. Hey, take it easy. Okay. <laughs> Brenda, I heard that. Mick Jagger, Keith Richards, these guys wrote a song, became a very popular song. I try and I try and I try and I can't get no satisfaction. We've got kind of a funny story about that. Sarah and I were with Jordan and Courtney, who I was telling you about earlier. We had been in Canada ministering for a weekend and we were flying back to the United States and we were flying privately at the time. So we had to stop and clear customs. And we stopped in Wyoming at this very quiet airport and the U.S. customs agent came out to the airplane and their job is just to kind of take a look around at everything and make sure you're not bringing in something you're not supposed to bring. And uh, he got onto the airplane and imagine, if you will, just kind of a, a shorter guy, real jovial, real happy, real funny which in our experience with U.S. customs agents, this is different, okay? You don't normally think of a U.S. customs agent being a real funny comedian type guy. Well, this guy was funny. And he gets on the plane and he's, he's talking, he's making us laugh. And he said, well, come on in, come to my office. We'll get some papers signed and I'll let you be on your way. So the four of us go in to his office and we walk into this room and there's like a, a big conference table right there. And this guy has got artifacts and stuff all over his wall. And there's a story behind everything hanging on the wall. And we sat down at these chairs and he's sitting there and Sarah and I and Jordan and Courtney, we're sitting there. And he said, you want to know something kind of cool? 
He said, you want to know who was sitting in that chair right there two weeks ago? Keith Richards, Mick Jagger. Evidently, a lot of these uh, really famous people will stop at this particular airport. We didn't know this because it's in the middle of nowhere. And you can clear customs there without a bunch of paparazzi and media and all that. So these guys, he started telling us about all the rock stars that had come through there. This guy's was funny. So he was telling us about Keith Richards and Mick Jagger sitting right there where we were. And they were sitting there two weeks ago. And he starts telling us this story. He said, yeah, you know what? Keith Richards out of nowhere starts telling me about all the cocaine he's done in his life. He's, oh man, oh, you know, I've done so much cocaine. Oh, so much cocaine. You know? And he's just going on and on about all the cocaine he's done in his lifetime. And he starts telling this U.S. customs agent. He said, oh, you know, like back in the day, man, I was doing so much cocaine. He said, I did so much that doctors told me if I did any more, I'd be dead. They said I had so much in my system, I could have killed a horse. He said I, he, he was so addicted to it that he would, I don't know how many times a year, would fly from wherever he was in the world to some remote place, I don't know, in Sweden or something like that, get a total blood transfusion to empty out all the toxic blood for one reason, so that he could go back, right, and do more and do more. And this is somebody that spent millions and millions and millions of dollars searching for this high, right? And the, the agent was funny. I guess Keith Richards got to the end of this story about all the cocaine he'd done. He said, wow, that's, that's very interesting. Uh, can you tell me, how much of it do you have on you right now, sir? <laughs> no, 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 no. Oh, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't, I don't do it. He goes, I'm not doing it anymore. But the thought occurred to me that that's the guy who said, I try. And I try and I try, but I can't get no, right? Satisfaction. That's what he was looking for. And not just him, but countless of millions and millions of people all over the world looking for that, searching for it, spending for it, going to great lengths, trying to find it. But do you realize that most people will come to the end of their life and believe that satisfaction is a myth? that you cannot find it, it's not out there. You might look for it your whole life long, but you're never gonna find it. I disagree. But you gotta know where to look, right? And Jesus said, I came, my purpose in coming was that you would have a rich and satisfying life. I think over the course as the Lord leads us over the next few weeks, we'll spend some more time looking at this. But you remember the guy the Bible calls the rich young ruler? This is Mark chapter 10. And the Bible says that as Jesus was on his way out of town, this young guy came running to him. Get the picture here. Let the word of God paint a picture. He comes running to him and kneeling down before him. It's like he comes sliding in on his knees. Listen to this picture he's painting. He grabs a hold of Jesus and he says, good teacher, what good thing do I have to do to inherit, listen, eternal life? Now, you know, from the end of this story that he's got some stuff, right? He's got some material means. He's got some financial things. He's got some money, but he's still looking for something else, isn't he? What's he looking for? He's got money, but he's looking for life. Where's life? That ought to tell you something right there. 
that there's no life in that. And it's not that the money is wrong or the money is bad, but you've got to recognize right away there's no life in it. And it cannot be a source of life. This guy comes running. He's kneeling at the feet of Jesus. What what does that tell you? There's something in him that is not satisfied. That as much stuff as he has, it has not been able to satisfy. And it's a really interesting question. What good thing do I have to do to inherit? To inherit eternal life? Now the concept is right. That is what eternal life is. It's, 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 it is our inheritance. But notice how he phrases the question, how he frames it. What do I have to do to inherit? Does that, does that mess with anybody else? Inheritance is not supposed to be based on what you do. Inheritance is supposed to be based on you being a son, you being a daughter. Inheritance is something that belongs to you that somebody else worked for. Oh, come on. I'm preaching to you right now. Are you listening to this? Inheritance is what somebody else, a a, a father, a grandfather, a mother, a grandmother, they worked hard for, they earned it, and it belongs to you. Not because of what you did, but because of who you are. Because you be a son, because you be a daughter and inheritance belongs to you because of that. But this guy's got this, this twisted view of it. What do I have to do? How do I earn this inheritance? And I don't know if maybe that's some window into how he even came by the money to begin with. He's a young guy. We know that from scripture. How else does somebody that young have that kind of money? Maybe it's a window into his own relationship with his father. Maybe dad had some stuff and he said, if you want this when I'm gone, you better do this. You better be this. You better act like that. And so he had this concept of earning the inheritance. And that's why he comes to Jesus and says, what good thing do I have to do to inherit? And you know, the whole conversation they had Jesus talked to him about the commandments and he's like, yeah, 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 I did that. I've done all that. And still you can hear it. No satisfaction. I'm still searching. I'm still hungry. Not for more stuff, but for what? Life. I want life. And he at least recognizes that what I've got has no life in it. And he came with the right question to the right place at the feet of the right person. But when Jesus, the scripture said, looked at him and loved him and said to him, one thing you lack, sell what you have, give to the poor, go get free, come follow me. You know what happened, right? He walked away sad. We'll talk more about this because we need to recognize what abundance is, what life is and what life is not. But what I'm wanting you to see here is that even though he had some stuff, there was no satisfaction in it. Go to the book of Jeremiah with me, if you will. Chapter 31. I like this in Jeremiah chapter 31, beginning in verse 10. The Spirit of God is speaking through this prophet. I like what he says here in verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord, O nations, and declare it in the isles, the islands afar off. 
Now, we have some sort of frame of reference for that, right? We now have the ability to speak to large groups of people, even people that are not physically present with us right now. We're going out right now over the internet. And literally anybody in the world with access to the internet could hear this right now. Jeremiah didn't have that. And yet he's speaking to the world. Man, that hits me in the heart. That reminds me we're a local church with a global call. We've got a voice and there's something to be said to the whole world. Here's what he wants the whole world to hear. He who scattered Israel will gather him and keep him as a shepherd does his flock. John chapter 10, what was it all about? Jesus, the good shepherd. Verse 11, for the Lord has redeemed Jacob and ransomed him from the hand of one stronger than he. He has redeemed us. He has ransomed us. What does it mean to redeem or to ransom? To pay a price. If you ever get a clue of the price that was paid for you, you will stop looking at yourself as unworthy. You will stop looking at yourself as no good. You will stop looking at yourself as not enough or too much this and not enough that. You'll you will completely change the way you see yourself if you'll just grab a hold of this one thing right here. The price, the high price that was paid to ransom you. That's what ransom is. It's a price, right? To be redeemed is to be bought back. And you weren't redeemed with corruptible things like silver and like gold. You were ransomed. You were redeemed with the precious blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what you've got to understand about that. The price paid determines the value. Whatever price somebody's willing to pay for something, that is what determines the value of that thing. And let's say you got, a, you got an object and the, the, the price tag on it is millions and millions and millions and millions. And somebody comes along and because they see it and it's beautiful to them or maybe it, maybe it pulls on their heart or maybe they've got some heart attachment to it. And nobody else in the world is willing to pay that price for that thing. But you got this one guy who's willing to give it. In that moment, the moment he paid for it, that thing, whatever it is, becomes worth that price, even if it's to nobody else but him. And he brings it home and he sets it out and somebody comes in, they say, what is that? That's the ugliest looking thing I've ever seen. What in the world? Please tell me you didn't pay much for that. And he says, no, no, I paid quite a bit. What'd you pay? And he tells them and they said, are you crazy? Are you out of your mind? You paid that for this? That, that, that's, watch this, not worth that. Now, hold on. You, as somebody who didn't pay for it, have no right to tell the person who did pay for it what it's worth. Why? You didn't pay for it. You don't get to tell them it's not worth or it's not worthy of the price they paid. And I don't care if there's not another soul in the world willing to pay that price for this thing. As long as that one did, that's what it's worth because they paid it. They established its value forever because they were willing to pay for it. And if the market doesn't agree, who cares? If the rest of the world doesn't agree, who cares? If the experts in the field of whatever that thing is don't agree, who cares? They didn't pay for it. They didn't buy it. The one who ransomed it, the one who redeemed it for a price is the one who established its value. Listen to this again. 
Listen to this, nations. Hear this, islands afar off. The Lord has redeemed you. He's ransomed you from the hand of one stronger than you. He paid a price for you, which means you don't get to go to him and tell him how unworthy you are. Oh God, I'm so unworthy. I'm so unworthy. I'm so low down. I'm so nothing. I'm just a sinner. I'm nothing. I'm nothing. And he's going to say, listen, hold on, hold on. Wait a second. Shut up. How could you say that, God? I love you, but you didn't buy you. I bought you. This is what he'll tell you. I paid for you. And the price that I put on you is what determines your value. And my friends, that's what you're worth, if to nobody else but him. Doesn't matter. And I don't care who comes along and tells you you're too this and not enough that. And somebody who tells you you are no good, somebody who tells you you are worthless, you just look at them and say, I hear you, but uh, you didn't buy me. You didn't establish my value. And you don't even have to say anything as long as you know the value and the price that's been paid for you. Thank you, Lord. This is the beginning of a satisfied life right here. He said in verse 12, therefore, or, or because of this, because they know this, they will come and sing in the height of Zion, streaming to the goodness of the Lord. Other translations say radiant because of the Lord's good gifts. Man, when God's been good to you, you can see it. One famous theologian said it like this. If you're happy and you know it, your face will surely show it. That's deep, isn't it? But that's what this is talking about. Radiant because of his good gifts. He's been so good to us. What you got that goofy grin on your face for? Oh, he's been so good. He's been so good. He just keeps being good and he won't quit being good. And they come because he's ransomed them. If for no other reason he bought me back and he took me out of the hand of one who was stronger than me, man, I was stuck. I was stuck in my own sin. I was stuck in my own failure, but he bought me. He put, he put a price on me. He ransomed me. And that's why I can't quit smiling. That's why I can't quit singing. Radiant because of the Lord's good gifts. Now listen to some of these good gifts. He said, for wheat and new wine and oil. These are all material things. Notice he started with, with satisfying them spiritually first. There is no satisfaction without you starting at this place right here. I am redeemed. That's where satisfaction begins. The satisfied life begins right. I've been redeemed. I am redeemed from the curse of the law. Jesus has purchased me. I'm worth it because he calls me worth it. Amen. That's where satisfied life starts. But now it's overflowing into material things for wheat, new wine, and oil. If you study some of these words, he talks about the increase of it, the multiplication of it, not just that there's enough wheat to get by, not just that you're full, but that you're overflowing. Does this sound like abundant life to anybody else? Too much wheat, too much, overflowing with wheat. We talked about this, I don't know, it's been several months ago, but I, I found out one time in looking up this word, I think it's the word wheat, it's this Hebrew word. I'm going to give you the phonetic spelling of it. Write this down. This is how you say this Hebrew word, this multiplication of wheat. It's, write this down. D-A-W, 
G-A-W-N. D-A-W-G-A-W-N. Now say that. Doggone. I don't know if that's the correct pronunciation or not, but doggone. Come on, tell me, how good has God been? Doggone, man. God, you are so good. I mean, I don't even know what the word means, but it's got to mean something good. Look at this. Radiant because of his good gifts. The wheat, the new wine, the oil for the young of the flock and the herd. Now watch. Their souls will be like a well-watered garden. So what started in the spirit, that satisfied life beginning with who you are redeemed by the blood of the lamb, ransomed from the hand of one stronger than you. Now it's over here in the soul. He said, your soul's going to be like a well-watered garden. You ever seen a garden that's not been well-watered? What's it look like? Dry, brittle. Here's the big thing, producing no fruit. Well, you get one that is well watered, it's vibrant, it's full of life, and it's producing something. And he said, they will sorrow no more at all. I like verse 13. Then the virgin or the young woman shall rejoice in the dance, the young men and the old together. Man, you know something's good when you got old dudes and young dudes all dancing to the same song and nobody's, nobody's mad at the other generation. Oh, those songs are so old. And oh, these stupid kids. I wish he'd pull his pants up. And nobody's worried about any of that. Man, God's been so good. They just dancing and rejoicing and singing together every generation in the same place. I'm telling you, there's something to that. He is Jesus for every generation. And what he's done in our elders, he's doing in our lives and he'll do in the lives of our children. And all of it is his goodness. And all of it is in an effort to give you a rich and satisfying life. Thank you, Lord. The old, the young men and the old together, he said, I'll turn their mourning to joy. We'll comfort them and make them rejoice rather than sorrow. You ready? Listen to verse 14. I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance, abundance, too much. I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance. I like this word satiate. It literally means to saturate. If you look it up, you're going to laugh. You know what it means? Drunk. It means drunk. I don't know if you ever seen one before. And there's a difference in there. There's a difference between a guy who's had a drink and a guy who's had a little too much to drink, right? One who's been satiated, saturated with it. And I'm telling you, that guy, he talks a little different than everybody else, doesn't he? <laughs> And his walk's a little different than everybody else. He thinks a little different than everybody else. I know that sounds like a bad thing, but it's time for some of us to get drunk in the Holy Ghost, not be drunk with wine, but to be drunk in the Spirit of God with new wine. Because when you do, when you are satiated and saturated with the goodness of God, you talk a little different too, don't you? You walk a little different too, don't you? And there were people in scripture came stumbling out of a room upstairs and everybody who saw them thought, these guys is drunk. And Peter said, they drunk, but not like you think. They've been satiated, saturated with the Holy Ghost and the goodness of God. This is a satisfying life right here. And yeah, you walk a little different. 
Yeah, you talk a little different. You definitely think a little different than everybody else, but like we've already said, who wants normal? Not us. I will satiate the soul of the priest with abundance. You ready? And my people will be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Satisfaction is not some elusive, mysterious, unfindable thing. You just have to know where to look. And it only comes from one place, the goodness of the Lord. It comes out of the goodness of the Lord. And you have got to do whatever it takes to change the way you think. And if you've grown up with some traditional religious mindset that has somehow preached against this or told you that it was wrong to, to desire this, deal with that right now. And like we've already said, this word abundance literally means excessive. The problem's not the excess. The problem is you don't know what to do with it. Find out what he wants done with it. The most satisfying thing in this life is not just to have some money, but to know the kingdom purpose behind it and to have some to give and to have some to sow and to have to, to, to invest in the kingdom of God. That is satisfying. And that rich young ruler came running to Jesus, totally dissatisfied, totally lacking with this, this life shaped hole on the inside. What do I do? Where do I go? How do I find this life I'm looking for? You know what Jesus said to him? Follow me. Come on, follow me. But he walked away sad because he had great wealth. And man, if this guy just hung around, if he had hung around, I'm telling you, maybe five minutes, because as soon as he walked away, Jesus turned to his disciples and said, guys, I'm telling you, it's hard to get a rich man somebody who trusts in their riches to go all in for the kingdom of God. And Jesus, you could see Jesus himself had trouble with it. Here's an eye to eye, face to face invitation to somebody, come follow me. But because this guy, notice how his question started. Good teacher, what good thing do I do? And that's why Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? In other words, man, you, your whole concept of what's good is messed up. Because if you put the goodness of Jesus on the same level as you and your goodness, something's wrong. Something's not right. Your definition of what's good needs some work. And you see that because Jesus gave him this invitation. The, it doesn't get gooder than this invitation. Come, follow me. But because this guy's concept of what's actually good was messed up, he looked at the goodness of following Jesus and the goodness of having some stuff. And he walked away sad. And that's why Jesus said, man, it's hard. It's hard to get somebody who trusts in their riches to go all in for the kingdom. And Peter looked at it and said, Jesus, we left all and followed you. In other words, to us, there was nothing better than this. There was nothing more satisfying than this. We left everything to follow you. And Jesus turned to him and said, these words are so good right here. You ready? Nobody has left house or home or family or land for my sake in the gospels that won't receive now in this time a hundredfold. Now in this time, a hundredfold. That's abundance. That's excess. That's too much. That's overflow. But it 
only comes in the life of somebody who knows where to find it. And it's only found in one place, looking to the goodness of God. And whatever else you've called good, they may be fine things and nothing's wrong with them. We've already seen that. Here God has increased these people. Wheat, new wine, oil, sheep, young of the flock and the herd. That's money in the bank to these people. We're in a different culture and society now, but that's the exact same thing. That's money in the bank. So obviously God has no problem and no qualms whatsoever with increasing you that way, but he wants it to come out of your faith in his goodness. That's how it's got to come for it to be satisfying. See, the stuff itself can't satisfy. It matters where it came from. It matters how it came into your life. And if it came because you've got faith in the goodness of God, then it will minister to you. It'll be a blessing to you and not a hindrance to you. Thank you, Lord. I had about, I don't know, another page or so to get to today, but we're out of time right now. So we're going to keep talking about this. As we get into next year and the next few weeks and months, as the Lord leads us, we're going to talk about what it is to live the abundant life to experience the abundant life, where to find it, how to find it, how to walk in it. And the Lord's going to do some great things in this church. This is an apocal moment. And from this moment forward, everything is changing. Amen. Stand on your feet with me. Thank you, Lord. Guys, go ahead. I particularly like this scripture because it identifies what he wants to do in the life of the priest. He said, I'll satiate the soul of my priest with abundance. You realize there are so many people that hear these kinds of things and would say to the preacher, well, that's, that's because you're a preacher. That's because you're a pastor. That's because you're in ministry. God does that for you. But that's not where he stopped. He said, my people, that's a big group. You're in that group. I'm in that group. He said, my people will be satisfied with my goodness, says the Lord. Satisfied. A rich and satisfying life. Thank you, Lord. Bow your head with me. Close your eyes. Thank you, Lord. If some of these things have been a foreign concept to you, all I'm asking you to do is be open. If some of this sounds different than maybe what you thought or how you were brought up, all I'm asking you to do is be open to it. God can do amazing, miraculous things in the life of somebody who will just be open. And I believe one of the big things the Lord's saying to us as we study this in his word is that you, whether you realize it or not, may be a lot richer than you think. Because if you ever get a glimpse of what he calls rich and you begin to identify it in your life, you're going to discover that you're a wealthy man. You're a wealthy woman because you've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord. Thank you, Lord. The goodness of the Lord. The goodness of the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say it. He's been good to me. And I will be satisfied with his goodness. Look at me. I need to tell you this before you go. You know, we talked about this a moment ago, but this word satisfied really just simply means to be content. Contentment. And that's one of the interesting things about the life of faith. 
This is one of those things that makes us different than the rest of this world is we can be content right now while we press into more, while we believe God for increase. And that's different. But that's what being content is. It's not waiting to be thankful. It's not saying, I'll be thankful when I have this. I'll be grateful when this shows up. No, contentment is here, it's now. Thank you, Lord, for every good thing you've done. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And the Bible says, godliness with contentment is great gain. This is a big key to increasing in every area of your life, contentment. A number of years ago, Sarah and I were, were building a new place to live in. And it was taking a little longer than we had first thought. And so what we did about the last three or four months of the building project was we moved actually her parents' camper onto the building site. And she and I and the kids lived in this camper. And it was fun for like an hour and a half. <laughs> but after that, man, it got hard. It got cramped. And it was a little frustrating. The kids didn't want to go to the camper. They called it prison probably because they heard me call it prison. <laughs> and we were so, I was, I'll just say me, I was so frustrated with it. I remember standing in the entry of the little camper, the entry, which was also the living room, which was also the kitchen, which was also right next to the bathroom. And Jesse was asleep in the kitchen slash living room in the little playpen. Justice was taking a nap in the bedroom, which was immediately to my right. I'm standing there eating a hamburger in total silence because I don't want to wake these kids up. And I'm just so frustrated, just complaining, complaining every day, every day, every day. Can't wait till the house is done. Can't wait till the house is done. Can't wait till the, and then one issue after another kept coming up. And then, oh, it's going to be another week. It's going to be another week. It's going to be another week. Till finally the Lord got a hold of me and went to work on my heart. You got to change the way you're talking. Are you thankful? Are you thankful to be indoors? Are you thankful to have a bed to sleep on? And I finally realized, I wonder if my lack of contentment was what was making this house take so long. And man, we changed it quickly, didn't we? I mean, we got some different words coming out of our mouth. Father, we're thankful. We're grateful. Oh, we're so satisfied. Thank you for this place. Look, you can move it around and everything. We're thankful. <laughs> We're grateful. Oh, Lord, you're good. You're good. You're good. And as soon as we made that change, you realize, you know, that project started picking up and picking up and it wasn't just days and we were in. There's a real key here. Living the satisfied life is being content, learning to be content. Thank you, Lord. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We hope you enjoyed this message. If you need someone to pray with you, there are several ways for you to contact us. Feel free to give us a call at 817-577-0180. You can also contact us through the Legacy Studios app or either of our websites. Giving options are available online at pearsonsministries.com and legacychurch.family. If you prefer, you can also text an offering. Simply text LEGACY and any dollar amount to the number 28950 and follow the prompts. Be blessed today. We love you. And remember, you are always welcome here in the house of faith.